Hello? Ooh. Ooh, that sounds good. Well, glory. Glory. Let's pray, and we'll get right into the Word. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the privilege to gather together around your Word. It is our sincere desire to know you more perfectly, that we may serve you more faithfully. We thank you that we can call you Abba Father, and that you're not ashamed to call us your very own children. We thank you for Jesus, our great Redeemer, our High Priest, and our coming King. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent into our midst to be our teacher and to be our guide. We thank you that he will guide us into the truth. We know that he alone is the teacher and the guide. Without his anointing, we can do nothing as we ought to do it. Without his inspiration and revelation, we can know nothing as we ought to know it. But we do rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory that he is here and that he will guide us into the truth. I thank you that even now he is anointing every ear to hear and every heart to believe. And I thank you that my lips are now anointed to speak your word and that I will speak it accurately and that revelation knowledge will flow freely in this service tonight, unhindered and unchecked by any force. I thank you that the supernatural will be in manifestation to bring glory to your name, deliverance to your people. And I thank you, Father, that your word declares that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And therefore, with great boldness and confidence, I look to the greater one who indwells me. And I know that he will speak through my lips. He will think through my mind. And he will minister through this vessel of clay to your people. And for all that shall be revealed and for all that shall be manifested, we promise and we covenant with you now in advance before we ever begin that we will give you alone all of the praise, the glory, the honor, the adoration, and all of the thanksgiving. For we ask it in Jesus' mighty and majestic name. And all who agreed with that prayer said, Amen. And they said, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And they said, Glory to God. Glory to God. And they said, Good evening, Fred. Good evening, y'all. <laughs> About 35 years ago, I had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and I was born again, first year of our marriage. Very shortly thereafter, I had an experience where what to me at the time was an audible voice, I realized now that it was not audible to anybody else in the building because no one else heard it, but I heard it, and it was very real to me. And I heard this voice say that you are to preach my gospel. For 17 years after that, I struggled in the Christian life. I had my ups and downs, mostly downs and very seldom up. It was a hard way to go. And I used to read the book of Acts, and it would stick in my craw. It bugged me. It bothered me. I was not seeing in manifestation in the ministry that I had, and very few, if any, that I knew of at the time, 
where these things were occurring, the signs, the wonders, the supernatural manifestations. And I began to cry out to God. I knew that he had spoken to me. I knew that he had called me, but I was ready to give it up. Forget it. Because there was no power in it. I was dissatisfied. My own life was a wreck, a shambles, a struggle. And somebody gave me Catherine Kuhlman's book, I Believe in Miracles. Then I read another book, God Can Do It Again. And I knew that there was a reality. I knew that what the Bible said was alive today. Well, to make a long story short, I found out that what I needed was the power of the Holy Spirit. So in 1970, I was filled with the Spirit. Shortly thereafter, someone gave me some books by a man named Kenneth Hagin. And I read those books, The Authority of the Believer, Right and Wrong Thinking, What Faith Is, and several other books. And it forever transformed my life. I had received the power in the Spirit of God, but I didn't know how to harness that power to my life. And over the years, I've seen how there have been many that have been filled with the Spirit, truly filled with the Spirit, the power of God in their life, and yet that power not really transforming and changing their lives. And the Spirit of God gave me an illustration somewhat like an automobile. You can have a chassis, you can have an engine, and uh, you can have one of the most powerful engines in the world that perhaps could turn that car down the highway at 200, 300 miles an hour. But if you don't have a gearbox and a drive train to transfer the power of that engine to the wheel of that car or wheels of the car, it'll go nowhere. So you can have the power. You can speak with tongues. You can be full of the Spirit of God and still be beating your wife, beating your children, bound by everything you can think of until you learn how to harness that power to the wheels of your life. Now, what I want to deal with, and I, as I've been sitting in the, the meetings, um, I have been disturbed, and that's probably my particular challenge. But as I've often told my wife, I don't really think I'm for this world. I really don't think so. And sometimes it's very disturbing. But what I want to deal with, this is what brought me into the fullness of God, signs and wonders. And this is what brought me into the charismatic Bible ministries is the fact that it was based upon signs and wonders and, of course, love and unity through these things. And that's great and it's wonderful and I, I thrill in it and that's the reason why I got involved or became involved because I'm not, I don't need to get involved in anything else. I'm doing plenty. I got a lot to do. I don't need to be in any more meetings. I don't need to go to any more conferences per se. But this was something I felt that was special. So I believe that maybe the Lord has given me this opportunity because I certainly did not know I was going to speak because I don't need, I don't need to speak when I go somewhere. I like to go and be ministered to. I'm speaking all the time. I don't need to be heard. I just need to be seen. <laughs> so I, I was minding my own business, and Billy Joe came up to me and put a 44 Magnum to my head and said, uh, you are going to minister. I said, I think you're right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Not really, but anyway, he asked me. What I want to do is I want to share something that hasn't been shared yet this week, and I think that this will just be another something to give us an opportunity to, to think about. I want to go over on the other side of this. There is two sides to every coin. There's an east, but there's the reciprocal, which is the west. There's a north, there's a south, there's an up, there's a down. 
There's another side to the signs and wonders. I don't know whether you realize it or not. I believe in the signs and wonders, and the signs and wonders are manifested in my ministry as the Spirit of God directs and as He wills. But whether you realize it or not, signs and wonders are not for Christians. Now, we love them, we like them, we want to be where they're happening, we want to operate in them because when we do, it's easy because the Holy Ghost is doing the work. All we've got to do is ride. <laughs> they have their place. They are actually God's twofold benefits to his church. One is to empower the ministry gifts. The spiritual gifts are actually the equipment to equip the ministry gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They will operate in any spirit-filled believer as the Holy Ghost wills, but they're primarily the tools of the trade for the ministry. Secondly, they're God's method of advertisement. Not for Christians, but for sinners, for the world to know the reality and the power of Almighty God. The Bible does not say that without gifts of the Spirit, it is impossible to please God. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. God does not require sinners to exercise faith. It's impossible for them to do so because they're spiritually dead and there's no way they could have the faith of God. But we're the children of God. We're born again. We're the family of God. God expects us to operate by faith. And many of us, you're going to go back to your churches, you're going to go back to your ministries, and you're going to be turned on. But you better realize, dear precious brother and sister in Christ, that when you get back to your home turf, you're not to walk day by day by gifts of the Spirit. You are to walk day by day by faith. Amen. And as you walk by faith and as you fulfill your ministry and fulfill your calling and fulfill your assignment, then the supernatural will come into play to push you through and make good through your ministry what God has called you to do. Amen. So I want to talk about the other side of the coin. This side we've heard a lot about. I'm all for it. Hey, that's why I'm here. I have no problem with it at all. I just feel that there is another side and we need to deal with that side too so that when we go back, we don't think that from sunrise to sunset it's going to be one miracle after the other, one supernatural manifestation because it ain't. And you need to know that and you're living in a fool's paradise if you think it's going to be so. It ought to function. They ought to operate. I expect them and they do in ministry. But for me personally, to walk with God, I have to walk by faith. Yes. And so do you. Yes. Now, there seems to be only a few people. For instance, just like how many Catherine Kuhlmans were there? How many William Branhams were there? How many Oral Roberts are there? How many Kenneth Hagins? It's amazing. You wonder, how come God doesn't have a thousand Oral Roberts? I mean, just like Oral Roberts, why weren't there a thousand Catherine Kuhlmans? We saw what was accomplished through her ministry, and we went, I mean, why wouldn't there be a thousand of those? I mean, one operating all around the world. It seemed like it would be great. 
but there only seems to be a few that recognize that call, that anointing, lend themselves to it and allow themselves to be the channel of God. Well, over here in another realm, there is a place in God. Now, this is my assignment. See, all Robert's assignment, build this university, build the city of faith, build all these other wonderful things, and I'm sure glad God gave him that assignment and not me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Bless you, brother. He knew who to give it to. But there is a place in God where we can rise above the circumstances. Now, I'm well persuaded that very few people seem to understand it because if they did understand, there wouldn't be so much criticism about it. And I'm really a little bit up to my fullness on big mouth people who don't know anything about it constantly criticizing with their loose lips. And loose lips sink ships. There is a place in God. I'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. When I first came into quote and unquote Pentecost and found out about the power of God. I found out that the book of Acts was alive today, that it would work now, that the power of God could be in manifestation. And I found out about divine healing at the same time. I found out that it was God's will for me to be well. I found out that I could walk in uh, divine healing, that I could be healed of my diseases. And so I'd always been sick with something. So this was great for me to find out I could be healed. And so I, I waited for Satan to put upon me some kind of a sickness or disease so I could take my newfound power and knock it in the head in the name of Jesus. And man, I was just walking around waiting for the enemy to attack me with something so that I could pull out my sword of divine healing and whack away at the enemy. I thought I had arrived. I thought that I was in nirvana. I thought I had come up to heaven itself. I was ready, man. I was armed with divine healing. And everywhere I went, I was looking for sickness and disease to attack me so that I could take my faith and use that healing to destroy it in the name of Jesus. And of course, I did. Until one day, I heard a man say that he had never had a headache in 37 years. I said, what? What, what? what was that? He said he never had a headache in 37 years. And I began to listen, and suddenly the Spirit of God gave me a revelation. I found out that God's best is not divine healing. Divine health is God's best where you don't need to be healed. Now, thank God for divine healing, and it's divine healing that can bring you to divine health. But so many of us in this charismatic renewal, we're still waiting for all of the problems and all of the attacks of the enemy to come upon us so that we can stand against them. And it doesn't appear to me that anybody seems to have enough biblical sense to wake up and say, why walk in that garbage all the time? Why not rise up and live above the circumstances? every day of your life. And then when you start talking about it, people start looking at you weird and strange because they don't understand. But that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the other side of the coin. I'm off for this. I walk in it and operate in it as the Spirit wills. 
but from day to day, I got to walk by faith. And there is a place where you can walk in God above the circumstances. Now, of course, that's if you want to. See, a lot of you still have this little pity party attitude. See, I don't know whether, Charles, whether you got that out of them. I don't know if you mentioned that pity party stuff. But a lot of us, see, we still want to cry. We enjoy crying, and we don't want to admit it. It's an ego trip that we're on, and it sort of makes us feel real good when we can get up to, oh, I've had all these trials and all these tribulations. But I tell you what, I just had a heck of a week this week, and oh, in 1988, it's just been a real trial for me. I just don't know what I'm going to do. Give me a little pity. Somebody feel sorry for me. I'm really having a hard time. Whoopie-doo. Well, I will not dishonor my Lord that way. I won't dishonor my Lord that way. Jesus is my example. Not Oral Roberts, not Kenneth Hagin, not Fred Price, not you, not me, not us, not y'all. Jesus is my example. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Not looking to the circumstances. Not looking to the devil, not looking to the demons, but looking to Jesus. He's my pattern. He's my schematic diagram. He is my blueprint. He is my leader. He is my example. He's the one I follow. And come hell or high water, I'm following the man. Yes. And if I have to follow him by myself, so be it. Amen. I'm going for God's best. I don't believe in selling for less than the best. God gave his best for me, and I believe that God wants me to walk in his best. If he didn't, why did he provide it? Why did he tell me about it? Now, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I know for a lot of you all, a lot of these scriptures that will all be familiar to you, but how many of you have yards that have grass in them? Raise your hand. Do you ever water your grass? Just once a year, right? Is that right? So you only water once a year, right? Well, I mean, after all, you watered it once. I mean, I mean, if you water it once, you don't need to water it again, do you? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah over and over again. So for you, some of you tonight, what I'll be talking about will be a watering. For some of you, it will be a planting because you will never have heard it like this. But I believe that if you listen, it will help you to really appreciate this because you will have an individual, personal life that will prepare you to walk in this the way we ought to actually walk in this. So that when people are ministered to by the signs and wonders, then where do we tell them to go? Do we tell them that from that moment on they're going to operate in signs and wonders and that they're going to please God with it? No, we've got to tell them they've got to learn how to walk by faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can have all the signs and wonders and they're initiated by the Holy Ghost. We don't initiate those. And you can have them, they can be valid, and people can be delivered. But if you want to please God, you're going to have to walk by faith for him. All right, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Some years back, when the Lord gave me my assignment, and I began to teach, I was teaching that faith, of Hebrews 11.1, 1, that when it says, now faith is, I, I believed that faith had a tense, a time. A past or present or future. In other words, there's a time when faith is faith and there was a time or is a time when faith is not faith. And so I taught that the word N-O-W meant a time. It meant present tense. 
And one day I was teaching in a place, and a lady wrote me a very nice letter, full of fire, but it was a nice letter. And in essence, she told me I was, you know, kind of off because I didn't realize that the word now is not in the original. Well, I'm a person that changes. I don't have a problem with changing. If I find out that I've been wrong, I'll change instantaneously. It doesn't bother me in the least. It doesn't make any difference what anybody thinks about it. I intend to be right. So I began to search it out to be sure that I was right or she was right. And if I was wrong and she was right, I was going to change. So I checked it out and I found out that sure enough, she was right. That the word now in terms of being a time is not in it. In fact, really what happens, there's a word or the better word could be therefore or but. In other words, it's a conjunction that ties verse 39 with verse 1 of the 11th chapter. And it would read like this, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Therefore, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Or, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. So I had to figure out what in the world is going on here. I know that time is involved with faith. And I know that that's where most people are missing it with faith. Because they don't understand that there is a tense to faith. And if you don't understand it, you'll never walk in it. You can spell it, you can say it, you can pronounce it, but you'll never be able to walk in it until you find out the tense of it. When is faith faith? So I began to look at that verse. And so I said, all right, let me drop the word now, capitalize the word F, and make faith the first word of the sentence. Then it would read like this. Faith is, uh-oh, faith is? Well, faith is, is present tense. Because it could be faith was, it could be faith will be, but when it says faith is, that's still present tense. So I was back in the game. And so I said, all right, I'll teach it this way. I still got it. I can prove it by the word of God. Faith is. So then I began to, to juggle it around. I said, all right, faith is. Faith was. Faith will be. Faith is. That's present tense. Faith was. That's past tense. Faith will be is future tense. Faith is. So then I said, all right, faith is. Then I said, well, let, let me add a little something here. I'll just mess up the English a little bit. Uh, we could say it like this. Faith is now. Now, you don't have to say it like that. But I just did. Faith is now. I'm still saying the same thing, that faith is present tense. I could turn it around and say, faith is now. I could say, faith is. I could say, now faith is. I'm still right back to square one. Faith is present tense. If it's not present tense, it's not faith. Whenever you say, I know God is going to do something, you're not in faith. You're not operating in faith. And that's why things don't, don't work and we don't even realize it. Right. See, when you say God is going to do something, you're saying he hasn't done it. And he said he did it, you said he didn't. God cannot side in with you because you're not siding in with God. When you say, I know the Lord is going to, then that means he hasn't done it. And he said he did. He said, with Jesus' stripes, you were. It didn't say, with Jesus' stripes, you will be. It says, with Jesus' stripes, you were healed. If you were, ye are. If ye are, ye is. And now faith is. <laughs> and you'll never receive it for yourself on your own faith until you realize that I've got to get it in the now. I can't say, well, I know, I know the Lord is going to heal me. You will, you'll die making that confession, friend, because that's future tense. 
And faith is present tense. All right, it says faith is the substance of things hoped for. So that means then that hope doesn't have any substance to it. Well, I'm just a hoping and a praying. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> hope won't do you any good by itself until you join faith with it. Hope is a goal setter. Hope sets the goal. If all you have is hope, then all it will allow you to do is to smile while the ship is sinking. But if you put faith to it, you'll keep the ship afloat. Yes. That's the difference. Big difference. All right, faith is the substance. What is substance? Substance is tangibility. Substance is materiality. Substance, in other words, is that which your senses can contact. It's something that can be seen, smelled, heard, tasted, touched. Substance. So hope doesn't have any substance. If you're hoping that God is going to heal you, and that's all you have going for you, you better find you a good doctor because you're headed for the graveyard. <laughs> Satan will take you there because you're not in faith. Yes, you're sincere, but so was the gangster when he broke into your house and ripped off your television set. He was sincere too, but he was wrong. Is that right? You still here? All right, he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the evidence. Faith is, faith, faith is the evidence. What is evidence? Evidence is proof. What is proof? Proof is that which substantiates or validates the existence of something you don't presently have. Because if you had it, you wouldn't need any proof of it. You'd have it. Well, that light went on, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. See, evidence is proof. And proof takes the place of what it's the proof of until the thing arrives. Therefore, proof is temporary. So faith for each individual situation of life is temporary until that situation manifests itself. Then you don't need any more faith for that particular situation because you now have it in manifestation. Faith is the evidence. Now, if faith is the proof or the evidence, then faith must be something. Faith itself must be something. Because how could it be the evidence of something if it's not itself something? So faith is the evidence. Faith is the proof. Now notice this. It says faith is the proof or the evidence of things not seen. Say not seen. Not seen. Say not seen. not seen. Therefore, it tells me that when I walk by faith, watch this now, listen carefully. When I walk by faith, I leave the realm of the senses. And that's where most of us screw it up. We walk by the senses and not by faith. We walk by the circumstances. We confess the circumstances. We, we magnify the circumstances. We rejoice in the circumstances. We even make jokes about the circumstances. No point in rolling your eyes at me. You better just go ahead and listen and receive because you don't intimidate me from... Yeah, we laugh. Oh, I've had a hard time. Boy, I tell you what, I had to. I tell you what, I had the devil on the run. Bless God, but he was chasing me, <laughs> and that's our mentality. And we get up and just brag about how hard we're having it. Man, that doesn't honor God. It does get a little sympathy from people. 
Faith is the evidence. When you walk by faith, you walk outside the realm of the senses. Now, notice when he said not seen. What do you think of when you see the word seen? Right away, you think of eyes. So you think of visual perception. But I submit to you that the word seen is not talking about visual perception. A better word is that faith is the evidence of things not perceived by your senses. Because, see, if you limited it to just seeing, then you miss out on all you could hear, all you could smell, all you could taste, and all you could feel. You would be limiting yourself a four-fifths of your body's ability to feed information to you about the circumstance and the environment around you if you limited it just to seeing, meaning eyes. So when he says seen, he's talking about faith is the evidence of things not perceivable by your senses, which means then that in order to walk by faith, I have to leave the realm of the senses. I cannot look at the circumstances to determine where I am with God. I have to look at something else. And that's what binds people up. They look at the circumstances. They look at the mountain. They look at the problem, and they confess the problem. They talk the problem, and they think they're being honest. I did it myself until I got wised up with the Word of God. Now, notice, he said that faith is the evidence. Now, listen to this. Faith is the evidence, the proof of things not perceived by the senses. So if faith is the evidence of things not perceived by the senses, then that means that there's another realm. There has to be another world, another realm where faith is the law. We live in this three-dimensional world and our senses are the law. It's hot because I feel like it's hot. I see it. It's blue because I see that it's blue. It's a discord because I hear that it's a discord. It's sweet because I taste it. Senses are the law of the physical world. But when we walk by faith, we leave the physical world and enter into the spirit world. And in the spirit world, the law is faith. And if you don't operate in faith, you're going to be arrested for operating outside the law. Now, if faith is the evidence of things not perceived by the senses, then there must be another world. And there must be a way to enter that world. And it is. It's the world of God or the world of the Spirit. Now, notice he says that faith is the evidence of things. Faith is a proof of things not seen or perceived by the senses. Now, if that is true, then how will I ever know at any one given point in my life what my faith is the evidence of if I've never seen, if I've never been informed about what things are in that spirit world, then how will I know? In other words, if I'd never seen an elephant, how would I ever know at any given point in time that my faith is now the evidence of an elephant? So there has to be something to tell me that there's something out there in that world so that I can know at any given time that my faith is the evidence of this, it's the evidence of that, it's the evidence of the other. So there's got to be a way to know that. Yes. All right. Turn now. Keep your finger right there because we'll come back. Turn to Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> this is just the other side of the coin. Just add it to what we already have. But this is my assignment. Some people sing. Some people play the piano. That's their assignment. This is a part of mine. All right, now look at Romans 10. We heard a little bit of it, of it tonight. Now, Romans 10, verse 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart or spirit, that is the word of faith which we preach. We preach the word of faith. We preach it. The word of faith. What is the word of faith? 
What is it? What do we preach? 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 What? Gospel. We preach the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Good news. Now, what happens when the news comes? You have information. Now, what happens when you get information? You become the possessor of knowledge. What kind of knowledge? The knowledge about God. All right, look at the 17th verse. 17th verse says, So then faith cometh. So then faith cometh. So then faith cometh. Well, if faith cometh, then faith must cometh from somewhere, and faith must not have been there before it cometh there, or it wouldn't have had to cometh there. <laughs> so then faith cometh. So then faith cometh. So then faith cometh. So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Faith does not come by praying. Faith does not come by fasting. Pray, faith does not come by begging. Faith does not come by whining. Faith does not come by crying. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is the way God designed the system and you cannot abrogate it. You cannot go around it. This is it. Amen. Now notice, he says faith cometh by Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the Word of God and faith go hand in hand. You can't have one without having the other. If you have the Word of God, then you have faith present. If you have faith present, you have to have the Word of God because it's the Word of God when proclaimed that causes faith to come. So I like to say it this way. Faith and the Word of God go hand in hand like the wet with the water. You cannot have the water without the wet. You cannot have the Word of God proclaimed without faith. Now notice, it says faith cometh by hearing. You don't mind, do you? No. Bishop Roberts, may I remove my coat, sir? <laughs> Thank you, sir. It are warm, it are warm in Tulsa. <laughs> All right, now notice it says, so then faith cometh by hearing. And notice the word hearing, because this is where a lot of you get messed. Oh, I heard that before. Oh, man, I, I heard, oh, man, what's he talking about? Well, I heard that before. Oh, I heard, I heard that last year. Oh, I heard Kenneth Hay. Oh, I heard Kenneth Copeland. Oh, I heard Charles, Cal oh, I heard Jerry Savelle. The book says, so then faith cometh by hearing. It does not say faith cometh by having heard. Oh, so. Oh, I heard that. Oh, no, 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 no. So then faith cometh by hearing. Hearing is present tense continuum ad infinitum. It goes on forever and never stops. Faith cometh by hearing. You want the supernatural signs and wonders to work in your church? If you go back to your church and your ministry, you can't sit there and wait for God to do something. If you want an environment in which the Spirit of God can move, you're going to have to teach on it. You're going to have to preach on it. You're going to have to say something about it so that faith can come to the people that are hearing you and it will cause the environment to be charged with a positive situation where the power of God can be ministered. I 
I used to wonder how come God wasn't doing certain things in the church. I was waiting for God, and God was waiting for me. And I didn't know it. Nobody told me. I thought it was up to God. Why won't God? Why won't you? Not why won't God. Why won't you? You want healing to work? You got to preach on it. You got to teach on it. You want signs and wonders? You got to preach on them and teach on them. Otherwise, there won't be any faith. Faith cometh by hearing. The people won't have any faith, and God can't work. He wants to work. He wants to work in the Baptist church, in the Methodist church, in the Presbyterian church, in the Catholic church. He wants to work among his people, but he can't because they won't let him, because they won't preach on it. We don't believe that. We'll go without. Okay, now notice. Faith and the Word of God go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. So faith and the Word are synonymous terms. You could use them interchangeably. You can't have faith without the Word of God proclaim, and you can't have the Word of God proclaim without producing faith. So let's go back to Hebrews quickly, and let me give you a paraphrase, the Frederick Casey Price paraphrase edition of Hebrews 11.1. 1. See if this says anything to you. All right, Hebrews 11.1 1 says... Now the word of God is the substance of things hoped for. The word of God is the proof of things not perceived by the senses. See, we say we believe the Bible. Oh, yes, Brother Price, hallelujah. Glory to God. I believe the Bible to be the revelation of God. God. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. Praise the Lord for the word of God. You say you believe, oh, yes, hallelujah, I believe God's word. You mean you really believe the Bible? Oh, yes, yes. You mean you believe the Bible? I told you that I believe the Bible to be the word of God. You really believe the Bible? Oh, yes. Are you sick? Yes. We're going to have an altar call for liars in just a moment. You don't believe it. You think you do, but you don't. That's it. That's it. You've deceived yourself. You don't really believe it. Because if you believed it, you would say what God says instead of what the devil says. God says you are healed. You say you are sick. Matthew 8, 17, himself took, past tense, your infirmities and bore, past tense, your infirmities. You ain't got them no more. In reality, you don't, but you say you do, and you'll always have them as long as you say you do, because when you say you do, you have signed for the package, and the devil has a right to deliver it and keep it on your front porch. Now, see, here's where I lose many people. Because they go into mind cogitations. And they say, well, now, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. I doggone it. I know I'm sick. I know I got pain. I'm not. Well, I'm going to tell me I'm not sick. Okay, follow on. Follow on. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, keep in mind what we've already said. It's the other side of the coin. <clears throat> See, our, our, our Christianity is, is sensory-oriented, and we don't even know it. We don't even know it. We don't realize it. 
It's all bound up in, 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 in feelings, emotions, things we have to see out here in the world. That's why, I don't, that's why I say I don't think I'm for this world. Because sometimes when I'm, I'm, I'm so full of the presence of God and the power of God, I don't want to be disturbed. Then a whole bunch of noise goes off, and it, it, just, it just wrecks everything for me. So then you stay away, and then they think, well, you're snobbish and this, that, and the other. It's really a dilemma for me. See, I don't need anybody to pump me up. I'm on a high 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and one quarter days as the earth circuits the sun. Well, see, when you say that, then people want to start sneaking and saying, ah, he's lying, he knows that. But you just wait, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. It says, while we look not, oh, look, 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 what, is that? what does that make you think of? Eyes again. While we look not at the things which are seen, uh-oh, seen, seen, eyes again. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for or because the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We see brought to our view two kinds of things. One God calls a seen thing, and one God calls an unseen thing. Now, what's he talking about? Same thing he was talking about in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Let me give you the paraphrase again and let me use the word that I used there. And you'll see something here that's astonishing. Notice what he says. While we look not at the things which are perceived by the senses, but at the things which are not perceived by the senses. For or because the things which are perceived by the senses are temporal, temporary, or subject to change. But the things which are not perceived by the senses are eternal. Now we have to see these things by faith. And this is where a lot of people get all mixed up, and that's why you have counterfeits. You have never seen a counterfeit $3 bill, and you never will unless the United States Treasury decides to start minting $3 bills. Nobody with any sense counterfeits what doesn't exist in reality. Counterfeiters always take what's already in existence and try to make a copy of it and get you to suckered in to accepting the copy for the real thing. So Satan has some copies. One of them is called Christian science. No offense intended. One is called metaphysical. Knowing, uh, uh, you know, no, um, what did I say? Offense, offense intended. <laughs> but here's where the difference is. And a lot of you that don't have enough sense to know what the Bible says, you think when some of us start talking like this, that we're talking about Christian science. We're talking about mind science. That we're talking about things that are not really there. Listen, man, woman, look at the verse. It says, while we look not at the things which are seen. The things which are seen must exist. If they did not exist, there would be no need to tell you not to look at them because you couldn't see what's not there. The very fact that he says not to look at it is indicative of the fact that it does exist. God is telling you, don't look at the dumb thing. Well, what am I supposed to do, Brother Pride? Ignore it. You don't say that it's not there. You just don't give it any credit for having any effect or control on your life. You don't say it's not there. You just don't give in to it. Can you see the difference? All right, quickly turn now to Romans chapter 4. How many of you believe that the children ought to act like the parents? Depends. That depends, huh? <laughs> well, how many of you believe that the children of God ought to act like their heavenly father? Yeah. All right. You believe that? Yeah. Now watch your mouth now. Watch your mouth. How many of you? Watch your mouth. How many of you really believe that? Raise your hand. 
that the children of God ought to act like their father. How many of you really believe that? Oh, watch yourself. Some of you are smart. Don't raise your hand. That's good. Okay, watch this. Romans 4 and 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, whom he believed, even God who quickeneth or makes alive the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Uh, what did he say? What did he say? I'll read it again, the latter part of the verse. Who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Notice what it does not say. It does not say that God calls those things which be as though they weren't. Right, right. Right. It calls those things which be not as though they were. And that's a vast yeah. difference. Right. It's saying the same thing The 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen or perceived by the senses. We don't deny their existence. We don't deny sickness and disease. That would be foolhardy. If we do deny the sickness and disease exists, then God's going to have to change one of his seven redemptive names because one of his names is Jehovah Rapha, and that means I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, how could God healeth thee of something that doesn't exist in thee? <laughs> If there were no such thing as sickness and disease, then God couldn't be the Lord that healeth thee because there wouldn't be anything to be healed of. Right. So sickness does exist. Pain does exist. But we need to stop giving it comfort. We need to stop owning it as ours. So what do you do when you're hurt? What do you do when you're in pain? Do you deny the pain? Do you say, I don't hurt. Um, I, I don't have pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not really in pain. <laughs> My foot doesn't hurt. <gasps> no. You ignore it. For a higher vision, a higher revelation. What do you look at? You look at the unchanging word of the living God. The Bible says that it is impossible for God to lie. That means it's not possible for God to lie. If it is not possible for God to lie, then the only other alternative is that God must tell the truth. So if God says with Jesus Christ, I was healed, then I must be healed. If I am not healed, God is a liar. And if God is a liar, the Bible is invalidated. Yeah, but I don't feel well. That's your problem. You're walking by your senses and not by the Word of God. You say you believe the Bible, but you don't believe the Bible. You believe the circumstances. You come down here and, and, and get prayed for it. First thing you do when you leave the prayer line. No, 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 it didn't work. I, I can't hear any better. And you never will. Now, we're, we're talking now about faith. I'm not talking about a supernatural intervention of God when gifts of the Spirit operate, when God initiates, that's it. I mean, you don't have to believe anything. But you can't walk in that all your life, and a lot of people that get that lose it before they get out of the front door because they don't know how to keep it by faith. Now, we need to learn how to correct our mouths and bring them in line with the Word of God. My spirit has been grieved this week, really grieved. 
And I don't say that in a judgmental way. I say it simply as an observation to give another side of the coin. That is all. God forbid that I would stand in judgment. I do not do that. I am not a fool. It's obvious that I'm not a fool because you're still here. <laughs> if I were a fool and you're still here, then who's the bigger fool? The fool or the fool that follows the fool? Huh? We need to change our mouths. Turn to Proverbs 18. We don't realize. Some of us don't because we've never been told. Others don't because they, they won't listen. They'd rather do it their own way. It's amazing how we have our own theology. We really don't realize a lot of times. We really try to have God dance to our music. Oh, yeah, amen. Yeah, there's a lot of pride. We want to, we're going to do it our way no matter what. Come hell or high water, we're going to do it our way instead of doing it God's way. Because when we do it God's way, it interrupts our plans. But if you, want to, if you want to be victorious, I believe in victory every minute of every day. And therefore, I say that. Now, look at this. Proverbs 18, 21, the first part of the verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. That means you can speak death to your life with your own mouth or you can speak life to your life with your own mouth. It's up to you. And everything you have right now in your life and everything you are right now is the sum total of all that you have been believing over the years and saying with your mouth. Laws work whether you know they're working or not. You can jump off of the top of the city of faith and not know that there is such a thing as the law of gravitation. And as soon as your foot leaves that top ledge, you're going to come into the law whether you want to or not. It's going to suck you down to the ground, zap, just like that. That law is working 24 hours a day all the time, whether you know it's working or not. And there's a law of words. When you speak words that are out of context with the word of the living God, you have cut God off. It doesn't mean you're not his child. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but you've cut him off. Just like I can be talking on the telephone, something inadvertently the telephone falls and hits the, the receiver and clicks the line off. My wife's on the other end. I don't love her any less than I loved her when I heard her voice. But the line has been interrupted. I'm over on this end with the receiver. She's over on that end, and we ain't making contact. We're cut off. We're still husband and wife. God's still my father, but we've cut ourselves off because we're not operating in line with his word. We're operating in line with tradition and with feelings, with circumstances and all of that. We're not denying the circumstances. What I'm doing is denying the circumstances that have any right to dictate to me where I am and what I do. They are not my Lord. Jesus is. Now, it's going to be difficult for some of you because you're going to have to change your whole vocabulary. I had to do this 18 years ago. I was a disaster going somewhere to happen. I was my worst enemy, and I did not know it. I had been speaking death to my life for years, and I had built up a reservoir of death, and it was working in my circumstances, cheating me out of the benefits that I should have of the covenant because I was saying things and thought I was being cute. Well, I think I'm going to be sick. Well, I just heard the Hong Kong flu is, is on its way again. Well, I'll probably be one of the first ones to get it. See, you, just like you laugh, that's exactly the way some of you have been doing, laughing, and you've been tying your own tongue around your scrawny neck and choking yourself and didn't even know it. Here it is, death and life, both of them. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Turn to Mark chapter 11. Jesus said in the 23rd verse, and this forever settles it as far as I am concerned, and it doesn't make me 
any never mind what anybody thinks about it. The master has spoken, and that is it. It is irrevocable. Nobody can take it away. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, For verily I say unto you that whosoever, say whosoever, say whosoever, say I am a whosoever. That's who you are, whether you know it or not. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say, whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. That means your spirit and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe where in his spirit that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He, Jesus Christ, said, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He did not say whatsoever was good. He said whatsoever. You keep talking death, that's what you're going to have. You keep talking sickness and disease, that's what you're going to have. You keep talking poverty, that's what you're going to have. You keep talking problems, and that's what you're going to have because you're going to create the reality of them with your own mouth. That is a divine law. Jesus said, whosoever saith, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come, shall come, shall come shall come, shall come to pass, shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he said. Notice, he said, you have what you say, not what you believe. Well, I believe, I believe. You don't get it because you believe. You will only get it because you say it. Now, what you say ought to be based on what you believe, and what you believe ought to be based on what thus saith the Lord. I picked this up 18 years ago. This is why I say I don't think I'm for this world. Because I really do. I feel strange around most Christians because when you start talking like this, that means they start looking at you crazy. And I don't need that. But I tell you what, I've got the victory. And I want to say to you, Carl, you said something this afternoon in your message. You said you're tired of people lying to you and telling you about how easy it is. I'm not the one that said it was easy, brother. Jesus said it was easy, and he's not a liar. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I hear him saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, not more trial, tribulations, and the backside of some dumb mountain. He said, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Now, the reason that it's been hard for most of you is because you've been carrying them yourself, and you don't have to carry them. I found out that 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. And if I have cast my care on him, that means that him has it, and if him does, I don't, and if I don't, I'm free. Now, if you don't understand that, you ought to get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, and you will. But see, we go right along picking up our burden, talking about, well, I'm just, I've had it such a hard, 1988's been so rough for me. Friend, and I stand a great risk at what I'm going to say now, but so be it. It's still the truth, and the truth will make you free. For 18 years, I have never had a down day. Never had a down day. Don't intend to ever have any. I retired from down days 18 years ago. 
Now, that's not my problem. If you want them, you can have them. There are a whole lot of them out there, all varieties, any color, size, and shape you want. You're welcome to them. I retired from them. I've never had a down day. I've never been discouraged in 18 years. Now, don't misunderstand me. See, I've had many opportunities, the same opportunities that everybody else has. I'm in the same world. I got the same devil, but I've learned how to say passez vous. <laughs> and that means pass on by. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. See, I cast all my care on him. I cast my ministry on him. It's his ministry, it's not mine. I'm going to do my part. I have my assignment. I'm going to carry it out. I have no problem with it. It's not my ministry. People don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. I'm an under-shepherd. I'm a caretaker. They belong to Jesus. All I'm supposed to do is feed the sheep and feed the lambs. Jesus will take care of the rest. Now, let me say this to you, and I've never really said this in this context, but I need to say this because a lot of people, you listen to the devil, you'd rather listen to the devil than the Word of God because you get a lot of sympathy that way, and you can cry and whine. See, and our egos get, see, we don't have anything else to cry about. See, I haven't cried in 18 years. Now, my wife can tell you, I used to be a crybaby. I, I was a world champion warrior. I was a world champion crybaby. I had a Ph.D. degree in crying. I, can, I could whine in several octaves at the same time. <laughs> I kid you not. You talk about crying. In, in fact, whenever I'd see somebody, I'd give them an organ recital. <laughs> you know what an organ recital is? My ear hurts, my nose hurt, my eyes hurt, my lungs hurt, my chest hurt, my stomach, organs. You know, organ recital. Oh. <laughs> but I retired. I cast all. See he, see, he won't touch him if you don't cast all of them on him. All. He said, casting all your care. Come here, Billy. This is, the way we, this is the way we do it, see? This is exactly the way we do it. I'm going to give you a demonstration. Come over here, Billy. Billy Joe, I'm going to show you. This, this is exactly the way we do it. See, we go down life with, all, with our burdens, our cares, our trials, and our tribulations. Poor old us. The devil just been whipping our heads. Poor old us. Ain't it a shame? Y'all, I mean, y'all pray for me. I mean, I, I'm really having it tough. Well, here I go, I'm down, going down. These birds, they, they have me weighted down. I can't hardly walk because of this load. I mean, I'm struggling through life. And, and, and burdens, burdens are real. Pain is real. Fear is real. Lack and want and poverty and not enough money is real. I'm not saying it's not real. It's real. And you carry all that mess on your back and you will be bent over struggling down the road of life. And here you go, down the road, you're struggling. Here I am coming up here to maybe sinner. Billy Joe's coming in, he says, well, what, who is that out there with that, with that great big sack on his back? So he stops, gets out of his car, comes over, looks underneath the, the great big load I'm carrying, says, Brother Fred, well, what are you doing? Well, Billy, I got a minister tonight. I'm, getting, I'm going over to maybe sinner. He said, well, what's that on your back? He said, oh, that's, these are my cares, my, my burdens and my trials and my tribulations is my wife and my children and my ministry and, and, and not enough money and, 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 He said, well, brother, brother Fred, you're not going to make it. I mean, the service is just about to start and, and you'll never make it like this. I'm going to help you out. 
You go right on down there and be on time. Come on, Billy Joe. And so I roll, <laughs> watch it now, I roll my care over on his shoulder. You got it? Okay, now, now who has it? I said, who has it? Who doesn't? And then here's the way you go, right on down the road of life. We don't even see it. And we're just as proud about it. Hallelujah, I'm just having such a hard time. I'm not, I'm gonna tell you a lie. I got good news for you. I'm tired of the six o'clock evening news, bad news. How many planes crashed? How many women were raped? How many babies were born out of wedlock? How many adulteries were committed? How many this, that, and the other? I'm here to tell you there's some good news. Yes. Yes. I'm a free man in Jesus. I don't have trials and tribulations. I have opportunities for them, but I've cast them all on him because he told me to cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. If I have cast them on him, then I don't have them and I am free. And if I say I'm not, I'm a liar and I'm going to have the power of Satan working in my life because I'm going contrary to what God's word says. Now, I want to tell you this because a lot of you still, you're sitting out there, ah, he just don't understand. Okay, big mouth, let me tell you about it. I don't usually do this, but I want you to know because this may be my last time to ever speak here. <clears throat> 18, in 18 years, Never been discouraged. Never had a down day. No blue Mondays, red Tuesdays, purple Wednesdays, chartreuse Thursdays, black Fridays, green Saturdays, and purple Sundays. Every day is a good day. I'm on top every day. Never discouraged. Never, never, never been discouraged in 18 years. I've had a thousand opportunities to be discouraged. But as I told you, I retired from them. Because you see, I walk by faith. Turn to 2 Corinthians quickly. 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 4, or 5 rather. Now you have to think about this because if you don't, you'll think I'm, I'm trying to say something that I'm not trying to say. All I'm trying to tell you is what God said. I, I got all this out of the Word of God. And I found out God tells the truth. All right, listen to, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says, For we walk by what? Faith. Not by what? Sight. Now let's use my paraphrase. For we walk by the word and not by the senses. Anybody get that? We walk by the word. So the word of God is my guideline. Well, how can I ever be afraid of anything? How dare I say that I'm scared? How dare I say that I'm afraid? I am pointing my bony finger in the face of God and calling him a liar without even realizing it because it's God my Father that said, you have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if you have fear, it didn't come from God. And you don't have any business with it. It's dishonoring to God. Yes, you could be scared. I could be scared every minute of every day, but I retired from it because I haven't been given that spirit. I don't need it. So I'm not afraid of anything, not even you. 
and I've been exactly where you've been. I stood over the body of my little eight-year-old son that had been run over by a car, and the doctor walked out of the room and told me he was dead. I've been there. I've walked there. I stood by the casket of my wife's younger sister who died of cancer. And then shortly thereafter, her husband, someone jumped in a car behind him and blew his brains out in the car. He died. Shortly after that, their oldest son committed suicide. I've been there. But you don't hear me talking about that because that doesn't magnify the Lord. That doesn't honor him. And it ain't going to bring them back to talk about it. Her younger brother died of an overdose of narcotics. One of her younger brothers. I was there and stood on the porch when they jacked up my car and repossessed it and took it away. I know what it is to have something taken away from me. Yeah, I was there when the man came in the house and came upstairs with a little two-wheel dolly and went over in the corner and unplugged the TV set and wrapped the cord around the back of the TV, pushed the dolly up underneath it, strapped the cord around it, and took my TV in repossession. I've been there. I stood in the court when I had to declare bankruptcy because I couldn't pay my bills and I couldn't take care of my children and my wife. I've been there. I've been there when I had a tumor in my body, and at that time I didn't know how to walk by the word. The churches that I went to said that all died out and went out with the early church. When the last apostle died, it didn't work anymore. And thank God for doctors. Thank God for medicine. Thank God for operations. And they cut the thing out. But the doctor told me that it might grow in the other side of my chest cavity later on. I can't say for sure, but this type of tumor sometimes will. Vestiges of it will remain and float over to the other side. Yeah, and one day it did. One day it did. One day it came over there and it grew and grew and grew but I knew what the word said and I cursed the thing in the name of Jesus yes it took me 11 months to stand because I was a baby in faith I didn't really know it all I had it in my head more than my heart but I kept saying it I believe I'm healed based on the word of God and faith cometh by hearing it didn't say who you had to hear it from you can hear it from your own mouth and if you can't believe your mouth whose mouth are you going to believe See, if I walked up to Oral Roberts and I said to Oral Roberts, you're scared. You're scared. You think that would bother the man of God? Do you think that would bother him? You know why? Because my words don't have the credibility that his words do. He believes his word more than he believes mine, or he should. That's right. And so when we say things like, I'm sick, I'm poor, I can't make it, I'm afraid, I won't succeed, I'll fail, my ministry. See, you believe that because you have confidence in your word. You need to watch your words because death and life are in the power of your tongue. We've been out of room for 11 years. 1977, we went to double services. We needed more room. We found a piece of property. We thought we could get that property, 23 acres in Los Angeles, and that's like finding, it's like finding pearls of great prize because there ain't that much property in L.A. right in the middle of the city. And so we went to, to inquire about the property. 
talk about fear. We went to inquire about the property and, and something inside of me said, no, we shouldn't go into this deal. We, we went into it and it didn't work out. We didn't get the financing that we needed. And so finally they gave us one last opportunity. But this time they wanted us to put up $100,000. And my board said, yes, pastor, we need to do this. We ought to do it. Something inside said, no, we shouldn't do this. But I didn't want to be dictatorial. And so I said, well, okay, let's go with it. And you know, we lost $100,000. I've been there, friend. I'm not talking through my hat and growing through my nose. I've been there when I had to stand up on that Sunday morning by myself as the pastor of the church and take responsibility for losing $100,000. I've been there. But you think I'm going to talk about that garbage? That doesn't bring glory to God. But it happened. I know what it's like to have to get up and tell people I blew $100,000 of your money. Ha, 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 happy days are here again. <laughs> I stood and sat in the office of a, a multimillionaire, uh, uh, a white businessman, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-toting, faith-believing man who had me inside of his great, big, beautiful office and set me down in the chair and said when he knew that we were attempting to build a church because we were out of room and we are right in the heart of the ghetto. And he said to me, Fred, you might as well realize it. They ain't going to loan no money to you in the ghetto. <clears throat> My God, at least you could have said, well, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. <laughs> that was a real encouraging word. They won't loan money to you in the ghetto. Oh, so, so I've been there. Where are we going to get the money? How are we going to get it? Well, my God supplies all my needs. So I began to say, I believe that all my needs are met. I believe that all my needs are met. I believe that all my needs are met. I didn't have any money. I didn't know where I was going to get it. But I tell you what, by confessing the word of God, we bought a 32-acre piece of property right in the heart of Los Angeles, California, 14 acres for $14 million. Black folk without selling any chitlin' dinners and rummage sales. What? 32 acres, 32 acres, 32 acres. Ain't got that many chickens in the world. $14 million worth of chicken. And guess what? without ever selling a dinner, by teaching the people the Word of God, how to confess the Word, how to believe, and how to give according to God's financial program, which is tithes and offerings. We owe less than $4 million on it. We're building now a sanctuary that seats 10,000 people. And we've been working on that for 10 years to get, 11 years to get a piece of property. People say, well, what are you going to do? Suppose it doesn't happen. That ain't my problem. If it don't ever get built, don't make me know. Never mind. It's not my church. It's God's church. If That's he good. can't build it, then That's he good. don't need it. That's good. If I can't build it, if I could have built it, I would have built it 11 years ago, but I can't. That shows you how much I can do. Zero, nothing, just like that. But God can. Yes, he can. Cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. That's my father. Not only do the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God, but the thousand hills on which the cattle graze belong to God. Not only do the hills on which the cattle graze belong to God, but the grass that grows on the thousand hills that the thousand cattle eat, that belongs to God too. So I believe my needs are met. I believe my needs are met. 
And our sanctuary will be the largest sanctuary in the United States. Over 10,000 seats. Only a couple of months to completion. And when we finish with this $9 million project on top of the $14 million project, we'll owe less than $5 million on it, and we'll pay that off in less than two years. No chicken dinners. No rummage sales. So I've been there. I could have been afraid. People say, what are they going to say if you don't get the church built? What are they going to say? That ain't my problem. Whatever they say, they can say whatever they want to say. It's not my church. No, I did, I did what the Lord told me to do. It's like I said, if you can't get it built, I can't. I sure can't build it. I would have built it already. We needed the ruins. So I do three services, and it's, it's, it's pretty heavy on me the way I minister, and, and so I do, I'm doing all my part. I do, I do four, but I just can't physically handle it. Physically, I know my limitations. We have the treasure and earth and vessel. You don't do dumb things. I'm not going to go try out for the Olympic Games. Forget it, okay? You understand what I'm talking about? So I know when I'm talking about these things, I know what I'm talking about. So when I say I have never been discouraged, I've never been discouraged. I've never lost one night's sleep. I don't toss and turn. I go to sleep at night. I don't care what's going on. It's in his hand. I've cast the thing. I've cast my wife. I've cast my children. I've cast my ministry. I've cast the television ministry. Cast it all on the Lord. I don't have any problems because I've cast them all on him. I'm free. So I have to act like I'm free. I have to talk like I'm free. I can't keep getting up talking about how hard I'm having it because I am negating what I say I believe because what I'm saying when I say I got a problem, I'm saying God lied to me because he said cast all my care on him. If I've cast my care on him, then I've got to act like I don't have it. I have to act like it in my actions. I have to act like it when I go to bed. I have to act like it when I talk with my mouth. I can't countermand what God says by a negative confession. Like it or lump it, that's a law, and it works. That's right. That's right. Amen. I'm a living example that it works. I confess my way out of debt, personally. I don't know anything, anywhere, anytime. Pay cash for everything I want, whatever I desire. And I'm the biggest giver in our church, my wife and I. Now, I'm not bragging because I did it. If I didn't tell you about it, I still did it. I'm going to still get credit for it. I'm only putting in the, it into the context of this message so you'll understand when I'm talking to you about faith and talking to you about confessing God's word and talking to you about walking by faith rather than the circumstances, I'm trying to give you a living example, a contemporary, not somebody that lived 400 years ago. Thank God for Martin Luther, but I never saw Martin Luther. Thank God for Charles Wesley, but I never saw Charles Wesley. We need to see some contemporary people that are walking by the word of God, and I'm trying to let you know here is one. Now, one last thing before I wrap it up. Ooh, are you ready for this? Everything that we'll ever need, everything we'll ever need personally, in terms of our ministries, in terms of our ministry to other people, outside our own local, whatever ministry that might be, whatever we would ever desire that is consistent with a godly life. Did you get the qualification? Don't go out of here and lie on me. I said anything you'll ever need, whatever you'll ever need is already in existence. You have to speak it from the spirit world into this physical three-dimensional world. It's already there. 
and everything that you will ever desire that is consistent with a godly life. You can have it. Jesus said, what things wherever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. So I believe all my needs are met and all my needs are met. I believe that I don't have any debt and I don't have any debt. I believe that all my bills are paid and all my bills are paid. I own all my automobiles, got the pink slips on them. In California, the pink slip means you own the car. All my furniture is paid for, my house is paid for, everything is paid for. And my wife and I give over $1,000 every seven days to our church. By living on what I'm telling you right now. And 18 years ago, I was in bankruptcy. I could not pay my bills. Now, I ain't got no bills. <laughs> All right, now turn to 2 Kings chapter 6 and we'll wrap it up. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, see, I'm talking about the other side of this. See, this is for public ministry. This is not for you to get bread on your table every day. This is not for you to pay your telephone bill. You got to do that with your faith. This is for other people, for the benefit of others that we minister to. This is the signs and wonders or for us to be equipped to minister to a dying world so that we can go out there and supernaturally let them know that God is real. It's to counterbalance the power of the occult and Satanism and all that other stuff that operate in tangible manifestations. Demonic powers. God has greater power than any demons. But that's for out there. Oh, that's yours? Oh, what you trying to do, Benson? You trying to mess me up, brother? All right. Trying to get me off track. So you can throw that little... Anyway. But you got to learn how to live every day. That's with your own faith. You got to learn how to pay your bills with your faith. Stay well with your faith. I'm never discouraged. Never have a down day. Don't ever intend to have another one. It doesn't pay. Pointless, profitless. Now you can have me if you want, and I won't fall out with you. But don't try to get up and undercut me and say some little sly, dumb remark just because you don't know how to walk by faith. I'm not the one that said it was easy. Jesus said it was easy. Now, it would be hard if I did it and tried to carry it myself, but I'm smarter than that. I did what he told me to do. I cast the whole thing on him. I'm free. Now, if I'm not free, God's a liar, and God is not a liar, so I'm free. So I got to act free, talk free, and think free, and when you do that, it will not only change your environment, but it will change the environment that you move in. Other people will pick it up. It becomes contagious. It's like a contagion. It's like an epidemic going somewhere to happen. But you initiate it by your faith. Now, see, that takes determination and effort. See, a lot of we just want God to pour something out and let God do it. Just, it's so easy. No, no, you have to do it. She says, we walk. It didn't say God push. It said, we walk. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. It said, fight the good fight of faith. You do that. You fight that good fight of faith. We have to do it, and we already win. We don't go into the ring to determine who's the champion. We go into the ring because we are the champions in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, one last scripture, and I'll close. Get anything out of this? Well, every time I 
teach this, see, I hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. It just makes me stronger in it. I just get bolder and stronger in it. Amen. Now, again, understand me. We don't discount all the things that are going on out there in the world, all the bad stuff. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad news out there. All I'm telling you is you can walk above it. That's all I'm telling you. You don't have to be a part of it. You walk on it. See, remember, the same flood that drowned the entire earth, Noah rode on it and lived through it. While everybody else drowned it, Noah lived. Same water. Kill everything. Noah lived. Rode on top of the water. Everything under the water, drowned, died. Noah lived. On the same water that destroyed everything, it saved Noah. Oh. All right. Second Kings chapter 6. I'm going to just paraphrase this quickly so I can bring it to a conclusion. We're talking about walking by faith. We're talking about the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is faith. It's walking by faith and not by sight. It's walking by the word and not by the senses. It's taking God at his word. What it is in the aircraft industry is flying by the instruments. You fly when you can't see. You don't look outside. You fly by, by instrument, IFR, instrument flight rules. You don't look out of the window. It make any difference what you see out there. It can be black dark out there. You're watching your instrument, your altimeter, your airspeed indicator. You're listening to the radio beacon. You're following the thing. You can land that plane perfectly. Fly by the instrument. We Christians are going to have to learn how to fly by the instrument. And the instrument checklist is right here in the Word of God. And faith is what makes it work. If you want to fly above where the eagles fly, you're going to have to walk by faith. If you want to stay down here and cry and bellyache, fine. But don't try to put that off on me because I've been delivered. I'm free and I'm going to stay. I'm out of the sack, Jack, and I'm going to stay out. <laughs> I've been there all the way down to the bottom. I was down there where they had the pipe sunshine to me. I was so far down that my down was down. I'm telling you, I was down. But I'm up now, and I'll never go down again. Never, 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 never go down again. That's the other side of the coin. I said everything's already out there. Now watch this. I'm going to give you a paraphrase edition. This was the uh, story about Elisha, the, uh, the prophet of God, and at this particular time, Israel was at war with Syria. And uh, whenever the Syrians would go out and set an ambush, because Elisha was a prophet of God, the word of knowledge would work in his life. And he would inform the king of Israel where the ambush was. And so the troops or the armies of Israel would go out and they would ambush the ambush. Finally, this happened so often and so regularly that the king of Syria said, we must have a fink in our ranks. We must have a spy. Somebody's giving away our military secret. And one of the soldiers said, oh, no, king, that's not the problem at all. But there's a prophet over there in Israel, and he knows everything, even what's going on in your bedchamber. And the king said, where is he? They said, he's over in Dothan in Samaria. He said, get the troops together. We're going over and lay siege against this city, and we're going to destroy this break in our communication line. So they came over that night, and they laid siege to the city. They surrounded the entire city, the valleys, the hills, the roads, the rivers, everything. Elijah had a servant named Gehazi. Gehazi's job every morning was to go out and draw the water because they didn't have running water. 
So Gehazi went out. He drew the water this day and said, I think I'll go up on the wall and check the valley and see how things were looking, see if the crops are coming up yet. So he went up to the top of the wall, and when he got to the top of the wall, his eyeballs almost fell out of their sockets because everywhere, as far as he could see, the armies of Syria had laid siege to the city, and every road, every river, every bridge, everything was covered completely with the armies of Syria. He dropped his water bucket. He ran back into the house and said, my master, my master, my master, how shall we do? How shall we do? The army of the Syrians, the army of the Syrians, we're going to be killed. We're going to be messed up. What are we going to do? And the prophet grabbed him and sat him down and said, man, have another cup of chocolate and a chocolate-covered donut with some nuts sprinkled on top. And get yourself together. <laughs> and after he had had his third cup of hot chocolate and his second chocolate-covered donut with nuts sprinkled on top, the prophet said, now take it from the top, run it to me slowly, tell me what's happened. He said, my master went out this morning, as I usually do, to draw the water, and when I got up to the wall, I decided I would go up on the wall and see how things looked in the valley. And when I got up to the top of the wall, and I looked over to the valley, as far as I could see, everything, the armies of Syria have us surrounded. There is no way out. Every bridge is covered, every road, every stream. The hills are covered with the armies of Syria. We're going to die. And the prophet said, Come and show me, man. Come on out here and show me. What are you talking about? So they went out to the wall. They got up to the wall. And the servant said, See, look, 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 look. See my master? See, see. And the prophet said, Elisha said, Oh. And the servant said, Oh. Man, we're about to die, and all you can say is, Oh. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For we walk by faith and not by sight, because faith is the evidence of things not seen. The prophet said, <clears throat> verse 16, 2 Kings 6, 16, And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And the servant looked at the prophet with a quizzical expression on his face, stepped back, and began to count. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000, 70,000, 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 picked Syrian troops. One, two. A hundred thousand and two of us, and yet there are more with us than are with them. He stepped back. He said, the prophet's having a sunstroke. The poor dude is flipping out here. What is he talking about? Can he see? Can he count? Listen. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Wait a minute. What a dumb prayer. What an ignorant prayer. What a nonsensical prayer. What kind of foolishness is this? The prophet is saying, Lord, open his eye. The man's eyes were already open. That's what scared the poor dude to death is what he saw with his eyes open. And here the prophet is praying, open his eye that he may see. Ah, my friend, he was not talking about the eyes of your cranial cavity. He was talking about the eyes of your spirit, the eyes of your heart, the eyes on the inside, the eyes that go beyond what we see with our eyes. And the prophet said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes. 
eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. See, Elisha knew whether it was written at that time or not, I don't know. But see, Elisha knew that the angels of the Lord encamp around and about them that fear him. Did you like that story? All right, you missed the whole thing. Let me give you what the real purpose of the story is. Listen, prophet said there are more with us than with him. I said everything you need, everything you need in Louisiana. It's already in the spirit world. It's there. Everything you need in any of your ministries is already there. Anything you need in your personal life, it's already there. It's in the spirit world. The spirit world is more real than this world because it was the spirit world that created this world. So it had to pre-exist this world. So this is only a shadow of that real world, which is the world and realm of God. Here is the reason for the story. He said... Open his eyes that he may see. And when the eyes of the young man were open, he saw. Actually, what God allowed was the granting of discerning of spirits. And he saw into the spirit world. And he saw those horses and chariots and fire of fire. But wait a minute. Hold it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up for a second. Wait a minute. He said, open his eyes that he may see. When he opened his eyes, he saw. What did he see? He saw horses and chariots of fire. But wait a minute. He could not have seen horses and chariots of fire if horses and chariots of fire didn't already exist. They were there when he couldn't see them. They were already there when he couldn't see them with his natural eye. When his eyes were open, that did not create the horses and chariots of fire. They were already there all the time. Whether you see them or not, whether you feel them or not, everything you need is already in the spirit world. Take your faith and reach out and speak the word of faith and bring it into manifestation. 